This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to speak this morning on a, a something that I've titled To Love, Honor, and Obey. To Love, Honor, and Obey. God has an incredible plan for your life. And the God's biggest and strongest and most inviting um, extension that he presents to us is to have a relationship with him. He wants more than anything to be a part of your life and for you to experience the fullness of who he is. What's important about today is that I want you to understand that the fruit, the, the root of your life is going to produce the fruit of your life. Whatever defines the root of your life is going to come out in who you are. The root of your life is going to give definition to who you are. Your character. Your character is not set in stone when you're born. Your character begins to change and gets informed from influences as a result of your environment and as a result of your relationship with God. Who you are is consequential and who you are becomes really important to experiencing who God is all about. But who you are also becomes the the key aspect to moving us into what God has for us. It's not just about who you are, but it's how you live. And moving into that arena begins to affect and change who we are. I, don't, I can't read this, so do you mind if I just pull this with me? Well, not that I can read this without my glasses either. So, yeah. um, He's going to do some stuff in your life because he wants to position you so that as you walk through the circumstances and the situations of life, he wants you to not only know that he's there, but he wants you to experience him and the very contribution that he makes to your life. No. Okay, hold on. Just hold on. It's not that funny, Donna. Okay, here we go. We, we got it. We got it. Yeah, there we go. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3a. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be. There are a few things that I want to take out of his. The first thing is this. In the beginning, God created in the beginning, God created. Creation was, came out of the creator. Creation came out of the creator. Understand this, God was the author of everything. Not only was he the author, but he was the source. It becomes really important for us because in, as we move forward with God, begin to understand that God doesn't need something else. God doesn't need substance outside of his, himself to make a contribution to who you are. When God takes substance and imparts it, when God takes substance to create, when God takes substance to make things happen, he's taking of himself and he's imparting it into that situation. That's where he created from. That's what he's wanting to do in our lives. It's consequential because God is taking of who he is and imparting that to us. It speaks about the fact that God looked and the earth was without form and void and was covered with darkness. Wherever you are in your circumstance and situations today, I've got fabulous news for you. It may look without form, it may look dark, and it may just be bleak and nothing out there. It's inconsequential to God. What's important to know is this, everything that God wants to do in your life and the places that he wants you to lead, to lead you to and who he wants you to discover of him is coming from him. Doesn't matter what your circumstances look like. It doesn't matter what your situation looks like. It doesn't matter how you're feeling in yourself. It doesn't matter. The only thing that's consequential about you is what you believe. Amen. 
Outside of that, you create a space for God to move in and to do some stuff in your life that is, is profound in the way that we can actually experience who he is. It's into this environment that it says, and God said, and God said. If you want to do anything with God, that's the starting point. What did God say? You want to go anywhere? You got challenges in your life? You wanting to address stuff? What did God say? Understand this. God's words are not immaterial. We spoke about the fact that creation finds its origin and its source in the creator. God uses substance to make that stuff happen. How does he impart substance? He speaks. He speaks. When the Bible speaks about rhema, it's talking about words that are charged with spiritual life. They're ideas. It's not just words to communicate an idea. What he's doing is he's taking spiritual concepts, spiritual truth that are spiritually charged. And when he imparts them to us, things begin to happen. Words are consequential. When we begin to hear from God and we understand what God is saying, it does some things that are important for us. Number one, it gives us a spiritual grid. I know what God's will is. I'm beginning to understand if he's the creator and he's the author, he's creating context for me right now because he's inviting me to understand what his will is. Not only do his words present to us what his will is, but his words are going to inform who you are. We want to speak to people about the fact that as Christians, we need to live by faith. And that's absolutely true. The problem with it is if you don't have faith, you can't live by faith. If you don't have faith, you can't live by faith. And what is faith? Faith comes by hearing the? The words of God. It's the rhema of God. What is he doing? God is taking substance of who he is and he's imparting it to who you are. He's taking something that is spiritually alive. My words are spirit and they are life. And he's imparting it to you. And in the impartation, what ends up happening is I begin to shift and I begin to change because something new has taken up residence on the inside of me. Something that's not of me. Something that's of him. Something that is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is of God. Faith is not of me. That's why when I live in relationship with God, the opportunity is presented for God to impart part of who he is to me. And as that impartation takes root in who I am, transformation and change begins to take place. Life begins to define areas of my life that were void and covered in darkness and without whatever it said. Huh? Form, that's the other word. <laughs> It does those things for us. God's imparting to us. God's doing stuff. What is he doing? He's giving you something of him that you can live by. It's not because I'm living by because I understand God. It's because he's imparted to me part of who he is. He's imparted to me life. He's given to me something called trust. How do I trust him? Because it's on the inside of me. I know what's going to happen. How do you know? I don't know and maybe I can't tell you how. I just know it. Why? Because it's spiritually imparted. That's what revelation is all about. It's not giving you a whole sequence of events so that you can understand it in your brain. He's concerned with who you are and he's interested in imparting ideas into your very being. Something that redefines who you are. Something that begins to shape and give form to your identity. So that's what we're speaking on today. God creates from himself. He is the source 
and the substance for creation. There are three things that are important to understand because this is the way God works. The Father is the author, Christ actions, and the Holy Spirit fulfills. Father authors, let us make man in our image. It was God's idea. He is the master designer. The father decides what things are going to be like. It's important to understand the will of God because when you understand the will of God, you have access to what the father's will is. What is the author saying? If he's the author of all things, I end up in trouble if I end up outside of his will. Sometimes I want him to do some stuff and he's like, it's not in the spectrum of my design. You're running off on a tangent doing your own thing and you're looking for me to bless it. He is the author. Jesus' actions, John 1 verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he was with God from the beginning. And through him all things were made and without him was nothing made that was made. What is it saying? Jesus did it. Jesus is the word. Jesus spoke and things began to happen. Jesus is the one who actions. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the deep. The Holy Spirit is hovering, waiting. What is he waiting for? I need to know the will. When I know the will which comes through the word, I'm there to anoint it. I'm there to empower it. I'm there to make sure that it happens. We see it all through scripture. Have a look at redemption. It was God's plan. And when Jesus was born, Jesus was here to fulfill the plan. He actioned it. And it's only when he was baptized and he came up out of the water that the Holy Spirit came on him and he was anointed and Jesus became the Christ, the anointed one. What ended up happening? He moved into his ministry from then. Why? Because he was birthed from the will, he was actioning it and the empowering and the anointing came. And the combination of those three things introduced him to what it was that he was called to do. Think about you. Salvation, God's master plan. Why does he send Jesus to die for you? Why? Jesus was the one who actioned it because the bridge was broken. We no longer had relationship with God. Jesus was the one who came and fulfilled that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is it sitting saying? The Holy Spirit is the one who takes everything that Jesus, that Christ accomplished for you and he makes it a reality in your life. And the Holy Spirit is the one who begins to change who you are. He's actioning it. Why did... Jesus said to the disciples, go and wait in the upper room because you might know the will of God and you may understand who I am as the Savior, but you need the empowering, you need the anointing. All three things have to happen. Image and likeness. Image and likeness are God's master plan for relationship. Image and likeness, what God was saying was, it's more than knowing about God, it's how we get to experiencing him by participating in his nature. When God created Adam, he breathed into him the breath of life. He breathed into him the spirit of life. It took up residence on the inside of who he, who he was. As he lived in relationship with the spirit, the spirit was taking the things of God and imparting it to him all the time. It was giving him of, the, of who the father was. What is he doing? He was beginning to define who Adam was. He was influencing Adam's beliefs. What are your beliefs? Beliefs is the DNA of your 
mind. Adam's mind. This is, I think, part of the challenge with a lot of people. When we hear mind, very often, we default to thinking. Okay, let me suggest something which may be helpful to you. Every time you see the word mind, put in the word identity. Okay? Because it's it's much bigger and it's much broader than just your thoughts. Adam's identity was conformed to God's image as he surrendered his will to the Spirit's influence. What is much more consequential in in your mind is not your thinking, but your will. You see, your will is the gateway that defines what is going to fill that space and what is going to give definition to that place. Ah, There was some stuff I was going to get into. Hold on, I just want to see if it's here or later. What's important about it is this. When God is, God's not interested in your thinking. He's not. He's not interested in your brain. If you have a look at God's original design, it was God and the spirit of life that was breathed into Adam. Adam lived from the spirit and the spirit was the one that gave definition to what he believed. The spirit was one that took the substance and the nature of God and imparted it to Adam so that he lived from faith and trust and joy and peace. It gave definition to his character and as a result of defining his character, he lived from a place where he walked into spaces and he was never a victim. He was never at the, the whim and the influence of what was happening in his world. Why? Because he didn't, wasn't a victim. He was a son. I'm, I'm born of God. And so when he walked into places, he walked in with a confidence that it was like, it's God in me that's doing some stuff in here. It's God in me that's going to name these things. It's God in me that's going to bring about some changes. It's God in me that's going to define what the garden's going to look like. He was living from God on the inside of who he was. The author was there. The will had informed. The substance was what defined his being. And as he lived from those places, he was, he was the image of who God wanted him to be. Because God's substance had defined his mind, his identity, what ended up happening is everything that he did came from that space. He experienced what it was to be a dominion figure. He experienced what it was to never be a victim, but to always be an overcomer. He experienced what it was to live in perfect health and never be sick. He experienced what it was to feel the fullness of joy and never have a moment of depression. Why? He experienced the fullness of who God was. Everything that was life gave definition to who he was. And as he lived from that place, it's what he experienced. God wants you to experience who he is. And the way he's going to do that is he's going to take of who he is and redefine who we are called faith and as we live from that space we move into places where I'm no longer a victim of my world and my environment and what's happening outside of me and what people think and what the news is telling me and what my education system might say I'm not a victim of anything that's happening outside of there because I'm born of the I'm born of God I'm a son of him I'm beginning to experience what God is in my life It's God on the inside. In our context, we would say this, Christ in me, the hope of glory. 
he wasn't at Christ yet because Jesus hadn't been to the cross, but he had the spirit of God on the inside of him. So the equivalent would be the spirit of God inside of me, the hope of glory. What he was saying was living from God's presence on the inside of who I am, living from that place and allowing him to inform me, allows me to experience the overflow and the abundance of his nature and his character and his attributes and his fullness. I experience it in myself. It's something that defines who I am. And as a result of that, as I walk through life, I experience in my world and my environment. It's not something that's just ethereal or or a concept or an idea, but it's something that has substance in me and substance in my world. I'm telling you, this this thing is of the devil. (laughs) Image and likeness, God's master plan for relationship. The two shall be one. Uniting two separate individuals into one life, in one purpose, functioning together to fulfill one calling. Your mind is important because your mind is your identity. Your identity is how you live how you think, how you feel, how you behave, how you act, and where your attitudes and emotions and everything else comes from. It's your identity. The gateway is something called your will. God is looking for our wills to be submitted to him. Why is he looking for our wills to be submitted? Because your mind or your identity is the womb of your life. And what has the privilege of seeding your womb determines the fruit of your life. You wonder why you feel the way you do or you think the way you do. You wonder about why you behave and act the way you do. What's seeded in there? What has taken root on the inside of you? Everything inside of your identity comes down to a key attribute called what you believe. It's the DNA of your identity. If you believe you're a victim, you will live as a victim. You won't be surprised when things don't work your way because it always works out like that for me. Why? Because I'm a victim. I bought it. I believe it. And so I look for the affirmation out in my world. I'm more surprised when things go my way. What determines your beliefs? What has had the privilege of being able to seed the womb of your life? The father had the master plan. I met with Mary and said, Mary, here's the word. He found favor with God. Will you submit your will and come into one with my intention? And when she agreed, the Holy Spirit came upon her and she conceived. She conceived. And she came birth to Jesus. What was Jesus? The two shall become one. And it produces offspring. Offspring was of God's nature wrapped in flesh. When we come into union with God, what ends up happening is we allow and give God access so that the things of the supernatural can be birthed through us into our world. They're going to be birthed in you and they're going to be birthed through you. One Corinthians six seventeen. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit 
with him. What is it saying? Ephesians 5, 31, 32. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He's using a metaphor. So before you want to run out and tell your wife what they need to do, he's talking about the church and Christ. What is he saying? The two shall be one. The two shall be one. He's speaking about if you're part, if you're born again, you're part, you, you're part of the bride of Christ. He's talking to you. Image and kindness, God's master plan for relationship. Blessing comes from obedience to the will of the author. Blessing comes from obedience to the will of the author. The will is the gateway to your identity. And when I submit my will to him, what I do is I allow him access to the heart of who I am. And I allow him to define who I am. And when he defines who I am, it results in blessing. It results in life. It results in prosperity. It results in victory. Deuteronomy 28 verse 2. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obeyed the voice of the Lord your Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the, voice of, uh, uh, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all that is written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. What is he saying? Every time he talks about obedience, he's not talking about you having to follow the rules and the laws. What he's talking about is, can I have access to your heart? What he's saying is, can I have access to the most central part of who you are? Will you allow who I am to come in and give redefinition to your mind, your identity? Because when I can populate that with who I am, not only will you be a different person, not only will your character be informed by who I am, but you'll begin to live differently and you'll see the fruit of what that means. I've spoken about this, the two is most evident in the offspring. What happened when, during the fall? It's an interesting thing because you have Adam. And Adam is living the good life. Everything I put my hands to prospers. I live in the fullness and abundance of everything that God has provided for me. I'm blessed in the basket. I'm blessed in the storehouse. I've never experienced lack. I've never experienced um, sickness. He's living the good life. How do you tempt someone who's living the good life? I can't say to you, can I prosper you? I got it. Well, let me make you well. I got it. He's got everything. Why? Because... The presence had defined who he was. 
So you couldn't tempt him with any of those things. So what does it tempt him with? Satan comes and tempts him and says to him, you will be like God. Oh, that's the one thing I never had. And begins to think, you know what? Everything that I have in the fullness of the way that I live is as a result of the presence. It's because of God giving definition to who I am. What if I was God? It's the only thing he would fall for. And so he sins. What is sin? You see, when I live in obedience to God, I allow my will to be subject to his influence. And I allow him to come in and give definition, to give direction, to give everything that I need. I'm subject to him. We're operating as one. I leave him on the throne of my life. And I live in subjection to that. And I live a life of blessing. Sin is when I take it upon myself to redefine who I am. I rebel against God and I no longer want you to define me or how I live. I'm going to do it. You see, it wasn't eating the fruit that did it. Long before ever, sin had happened long before they ever took a bite of the fruit. It happened in the heart. It happened in the mind. It happened with the will. In that moment when they decided, you know what? We're no longer going to subject our will to his influence. I'm going to take control of that and I'm going to become the master of my life. I'm going to become God of defining who I am. I'm going to move into that space. They moved from obedience into rebellion. They moved from righteousness into sin. That's what he did. And all of a sudden, the presence was gone. The presence was gone. So when God created us, he put the most important part of who we are, our mind, our identity, in the center of our being, in our heart. Why did he do that? Because it's spiritual in nature. And so when God's spirit comes in, that's where it resides. And so deep calls unto deep. There's opportunity for relationship between my mind, my identity, and God, who's resident in that space. The presence is there. The challenge with it is this. When we sin, no, let me take that back. When Adam sinned and the presence left, all of a sudden, his identity no longer could have relationship with God because God was gone. What happened? He realized that they were naked. And it's got nothing to do with physical stuff. This is all spiritual stuff happening. What happened? The one who defined me and who I was was suddenly gone. And I recognized I'm vulnerable. I need to define who I am. The problem with it is I can't go to a spiritual source anymore because God's gone. So what have I got left? Brain. Let me see what I think. He saw the fruit. And he said, it looks good to the eye. It'll be good to taste. And it'll be the source of wisdom. He went outside of where he should have gone. 
and he got into his world. Anytime we go into our world to begin to give definition to who we are, we're in trouble because you're not going to find God in your world. And so what ends up happening is we move into a different space and we start defining who we are by something other than who he is. It's part of the challenge that we have in the world today because the problem with it is if you listen to the media and you listen to schools and you listen to universities, what is the invitation that they, spend, that they send to everybody? You can be like God. You can define who you are. You can define what you, and woe betide anybody who says, hold on, God has an idea on this. Person of hate. You need to embrace it. What I need to embrace, everybody can be God. And everybody can define the way they want to live. Well, you're just going to have a bit of a hard time with the Bible. I love you. God never stopped loving Adam. The problem with it is he started to create a course for his life that moved him down a very different path. From conforming to the image within to being transformed by the images without. This was the first time the transformation started to take place. He lived in conformity to who God was. Now he was being transformed. Everything that God had given definition to was no longer accessible to him. And so he started living from the world that I find myself in. And what Adam discovered is living in the world without God was hard. He'd never experienced pain. He'd never experienced hard work. He'd never experienced sickness. All of this stuff started coming in and he was like, well, what is, where did all of this come from? It was foreign to him. Romans 6 verse 23, the first part of the verse says, for the wages of sin is? Ah, ah. What I want to say about this verse is two things. When it says the wages of sin is death, there are two implications there. The one implication is this. It's the product of the course of life that you've chosen. When you live from disobedience to God, what happens is, who is God? Life and love. When you choose outside of God, God takes who he is and removes himself from that. Actually, that's not true. He's always there. You removed yourself from him. That's a better way of putting it. So what have you done? You've taken yourself outside of life and love, and now you're defining your future. Well, if you're outside of life and love, you don't have the prerogative of having that influence. And so it doesn't lead to good things. So there are consequences in the form of death. But what I would say to you as well is this. The wages of sin is death. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What he's saying is, if you love me, you will understand that the most important part to who you are is your will. And you will leave your will at a place where you allow it to be only influenced by who I am. And you will leave it in that place. The thing about it is, because we've very often spent a fair amount of time defining who we are, to get back to where God wants us to, to, to be means that we have to embrace with love the whole idea of death. Take up your cross daily and follow me. The way that we experience grace is by dying to self. Jesus provided everything. It's in a package called grace. Grace. 
You don't need to work hard to pay the price for it. He's already done that. But the thing about it is, everything that grace provides is available through Christ, not through me. So anytime there's an area of my life that I am defining and that I am sitting on the throne of that place in my life, unless I'm prepared to abdicate the li- that throne, unless I'm prepared to sit and say, I'll take up my cross, unless I pre- reach the point where I can sit and say, it's no longer I who lives in that place, but Christ who lives in me, I never realize the fullness of what grace is. Grace is available, but I've got to choose it. I've got to choose it. Incarnational reality is the source of authority in our life. Jesus' authority originated in his submission to the will of the Father. It's not my will, but thine be done. What was he saying? He lived in a constant state of awareness of the presence of God on the inside of him. It was continually influencing everything. If we want to step into the fullness of what God has for who we are as people and the fullness of life that he's provided for us, recognize the fact that the presence is there and it's looking for access all the time. It's looking for access. Sorry, I'm just going to hurry a little bit here because it's, I don't, I'm going to run out of time. Um, Living from his image in us is how we experience God. When Adam lost God's image, he lost authority and the ability to fulfill his dominion purpose. He couldn't do it anymore. He was no longer a dominion figure. The dominion mandate, the opportunity to reign and rule in situations left. Why? Because in himself, he was not the author. He was not the author. The author had left. And unless I can partner with the author, I can't do the things that he can do. It's the author who comes into that space. The Bible says the earth and the fullness thereof belongs to God. What it says in essence is this. It's God's bat and ball. If it's my bat and ball, I get to say how the game gets played. I have influence. And if you don't like it, I'm taking my bat and ball back. God, because he's the author of it and because he owns it, it responds to his influence. Authority has its root in, this is not hard, author. Authority comes from author. The reason God has authority in that space is because he authored it. So what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to spend our life in relationship with the author. Because when you begin to relate to the author, when you allow the author to begin to come and define who you are, you begin to look like the author. When the author begins to define the spaces of our life that influence how we behave and how we live and how we feel, I begin to sense and experience the author. I live from a different place because when I live from the author, I live from sonship and not victimhood. That's not what the author would want. I know it. If I don't know the author in a space, I'm always subject to stuff. I'm always reacting to this and react. Why? Because I don't know. I'm not in control. I live from a different place when I'm in that space. Why? Because I'm living from sonship. It's not about me. It's about the author in me. What are the characteristics of sin? Isaiah 66 verses 3b to 4. Just as they have chosen their own ways, chosen their own ways, and their soul 
delight in their abominations. So I will choose their delusions and bring their fears on them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. At its core, sin means rebellion against God. It separates me from God. That's why God hates sin. Because the thing about it is he built us for relationship. He's wanting to come into our life. He wants us to know how much he loves us. He wants to experience, he wants for us to experience that love in who we are and how we live. And every time we embrace him, every time we open up our mind to him and we allow him into that space, he floods our life with love. And when he moves into that space, I begin to realize who he is because I feel different about who I am because I live differently because of who, who he has made me to be. I'm experiencing him all the time. The problem with it is every time I walk, move into sin, I move into disobedience. And when I move into disobedience, I start defining myself according to how I think, how I feel. And I live from that. And there's nothing good that comes of it. And God says, you're not experiencing me. I hate sin because it's creating division. You're going out and you're experiencing parts to, that I never intended for you to experience. Choosing my own way instead of God's. Loving what God hates. Refusing to listen to God. It created a no-win situation. You know what the problem with sin is? What, does, what Adam discovered was this. Relationship with God was rich and robust and full of love and full of life. It was full of wonder. The challenge with it was when he made a decision to sin, he moved to a place where he got, became disobedient. And as a result of that, he lost his righteousness. When it's not righteous, it's not a fertile habitation for the presence. And when it's not righteous and it's defined by sin, the presence left. So what ended up happening is he no longer had access to the presence, what he lived with. The challenge is this. He managed to get there, but he couldn't get back. I don't know what I can do to get back the righteousness. If I can't get back the righteousness, the presence is not moving back in. He was lost. The whole purpose of Jesus having to come was, you know what? You can work as hard as you want. You'll never be righteous. You can follow the law all you want. You'll never be righteous. It doesn't matter how you try and pay the price. It doesn't matter how many sacrifices you make. You'll never be righteous. We needed Jesus to come as a substitute to pay the price for our sin so that once again, we can allow him and his life to come back in and begin to redefine the space on the inside and make me righteous. Because when I'm righteous, the presence and the author arrives back. And when the presence and the author arrives back, things begin to happen again. That was the whole purpose of what Jesus came for. The cross did two great works in it. It did something in us, uh, for us and something in us. When Jesus says it is finished, what he was saying was this. It was a cry of victory. What he was saying was it's finished. Mankind, when this whole thing is over, will be able to once again have access to the author. We'll be able to once again live in relationship with the author once again. He paid the price 
for the wages of sin is he paid the price because of his obedience he introduced something called the grace of God where he said you know what I'll take your sin and he did the great exchange I'll give you righteousness I'll take the sickness and you know what I'll give you healing I'll take all of those things where you struggle, all of those things where you're depleted, all of those areas where you're unfulfilled, all of those places where you are in need, and I'll give you prosperity. I'll take all of your anxiety, and I'll give you peace. He gave us the full package called grace. Everything is available through what Jesus did. He created the divine exchange. The essence is Jesus taking our place, suffering the punishment in exchange. We receive the righteousness of Jesus and all the blessings of obedience. What he's saying is this. Christ in me, the hope of glory once again. All of a sudden, because he's made that space righteous and the presence has taken up a habitation once again, the author is back in residence. Christ in me, the hope of glory, the hope of once again realizing the fullness of everything that God is, his nature, his attributes, his fullness, his blessings, his everything is available to me once again. That's the hope that mankind has. That's the hope that was lost where once again, it's made available to mankind for us to experience. That's what Jesus did for us. From the day we enter this exchange, our goal should be to become like Jesus. What is he saying? From the moment we move into that space, recognize the value of what's just moved in. Understand and have an appreciation to love, honor, and obey the author who's just moved in. Understand in that space, what he's going to do is he's going to once again move into a place of redefinition and changing who we are. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me is man's hope of once again touching and experiencing the nature, character, and attributes of God. It's how I touch the hem of his garment. The woman with the issue of blood. She recognized her need, but she said, you know what? I see there the presence and the glory personified. And if I can just touch it, things will happen. The presence is within. If you take your will and you begin to obey what he begins to do in your life, the minute you move to obedience, you've just touched the hem. The minute you begin to obey, I've just touched the hem. Something's going to happen. It may be young and it may have to grow and it may be in its infancy, but you hold on to that because remember, he's just imparted something into the womb. It's young. It's growing. It might be embryonic, but you hold on to it because babies come from embryos. I'm a new creation in Christ, a renewed mind. I'm a new person, a new identity, the product of marriage, the two becoming one. The two become one as a result of me subjecting my will and my obedience to him. Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What does it mean to obey? This is the definition of obedience. It is the idea of positioning Myself, under him, by submitting to his authority and command. It is to trust, 
Ultimately, the definition is to hear God's word, inspiring a new belief, touching my DNA, that in turn motivates me to act in accordance with his desire. It is to hear, trust, and submit and surrender. When I hear his words, his words are spiritual in nature. When I, if you get into the Logos and you get into the Bible, that's a wonderful thing. It's a good starting point. It's an invitation to discover him. But it's only when you discover him that you discover the rhema. The rhema is an impartation of who he is. It's taking the substance and the truth of who he is and it's imparting it to you. It's an idea. It's not language. It's an idea that comes spiritually charged. And when that seed takes root, on the inside of my room, my mind, conception takes place. And that place begins to grow and begins to become an expression of who he is. It's an impartation to me. You know what? When I begin to live from that space, I begin to live from faith. I got it. I live in the expectation of that happening. The reason that he imparted that to me is I can't have trust in and of myself, but I can have trust when he puts that inside me. It's something that has to be born on the inside of you. You can't tell somebody to trust. It has to be born in them. He bursts it on the inside of it. Why do I know it? Because it's I'm I'm a son. I know it. it. We'll prove you're a son. Check my DNA. My beliefs are in line with his. Hebrews 10, uh, 8 verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their identity. Identity. What he's saying is who I am and what I'm all about. The truth of who I am. I'm going to impart that to your identity. And I'm going to write it on your hearts. And I will be your God. And you will be my people. Why? Because you look like me. Because you conceived of me. Because you're carrying the substance of me and who you are. One John five three to five. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. If you're not overcoming the world, my invitation to you would be this: get together with Him. Because whatever's born of Him overcomes the world. You might think of yourself as being in a bad place. You might have a lot of challenges in your life. You may feel really bad about yourself. You may feel such a deep sense of guilt. Perhaps you're struggling with depression. I don't know where you are right now. But what I do want you to know is this. The substance of him overcomes the world. If you're looking to be an overcomer, that's where you need to go. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Him born inside of me is our faith. It's a new foundation to live from. Who he is. uh, Sorry, I can't really see it. Who, what? Oh, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You want to be a believer that overcomes the world? There's a secret. 
there's the secret. Your secret is not outside. Your secret is not, you, you need to do some stuff to work in the world and you need to hone your skills and develop that and develop a knowledge about, don't, I always say this, don't be a halfwit, okay? To get that stuff. But I want you to know, your, your secret for being an overcomer in the world is not gonna be found out there. Your secret to being an overcomer in the world is gonna be found in your relationship with the author. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and, uh, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. What he's saying is this, don't take your identity lightly. Don't take it lightly. If you do, it's being flippant about your will and obedience. And it means I walk through life really not taking responsibility for what he's entrusted to me. So I let any kind of thing just come in and give definition to who I am. Be intentional. Don't be a forgetful hearer. If I'm telling you something like this, I'm raising it in, in, your, in your spectrum to make it a priority for you so that you become overtly aware of the fact that I understand how I'm coming to being and I'm going to be protective of that. Last scripture and then I'm finished. Ah, I'm finished. <laughs> so there you go. God has an incredible plan for your life. God loves you so much. He doesn't just want you to know about him. He wants you to experience him. He's created you so that he can influence you and give definition to who you are as a result of taking who he is and imparting it to you. It's not only going to define who you are and give, uh, give the substance to your character, but it's also going to be the, the foundation of which you live, the way that you experience victorious living. Can we all stand? And I still got a whole bottle of water. Father, I just want to thank you for a wonderful group of overcomers. People who are victorious in the world. Father, we just want to thank you for creating us with the opportunity to allow who you are to flood our lives, to gush in and to rush in with your love and your life. I thank you, Father, that as people set aside time to be intentional, as they put aside time to allow you to give definition to who they are, as they're intentional about not allowing their will and their obedience to move to any other place, but to be surrendered to you, I want to thank you that you're creating a new people, a peculiar people, your people. I thank you for all that you've done for us. I want to thank you, Father, that no matter what this world may throw at us, no matter what the circumstances and situations, I want to thank you that in you we are more than conquerors. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price so that we can once again host the author. In Jesus' precious name, Amen.